0: Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 26, but don't freak out. I'm not going to talk about hell, fire, punishment, and stuff again for three weeks in a row. I know y'all couldn't take it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit, <laughs> and then we're going to go through 26 to about 32, so that you get a little bit of the context. And then we're going to specifically lean into today, verse 32 through 39, where the pastor of this church goes from kind of giving this very stern warning and he transitions into bringing them to this place of encouragement. And he's believing the best about them. And he kind of puts a flag in the ground and says, we are not of those who shrink back, but we are those who preserve our souls because of our faith in Jesus. A very encouraging passage, very encouraging time to so, if you're here today and you're struggling, you're hanging by a thread, I believe this word for you today is going to be right on the money. So, let's listen. This is the word of God, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 26 so we get the whole context, but we're going to go through verse 39. Verse 26 of chapter 10, the book of Hebrews. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and outrage the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So he gives them very stern warning of what will happen if we shrink back If we let go of our faith, if we abandon what we had in Jesus. And again, the pastor, we talked about this for the last two weeks, the pastor to this church, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling them these things because he's watching people abandon the faith that they had once put in Jesus. Life has gotten hard. Things have gotten complicated. Family has turned their back on them. To raise your hand and identify as a Christian has become equal to facing opposition, even punishment physically. And many of them are leaving their faith. Many of them are turning back and going not into a life of rebellion, but back into a life of cold dead religion that was their Jewish faith that they had left in order to put their faith fully in Christ. And so he sees all of this happen and he gives him this very stern warning. And then he follows that up reminding them who they are and what they've gone through. And this is why he says what he says in verse 32 through 39, our key passage for today. Let's lean in. Holy Spirit, would you just even now begin to start drawing people's attention to certain stuff in here that they need to hear. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I love that. I love this declarative. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Hebrews right here. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the hard reality that was on display in the verses that preceded these, that warned us of what would happen if we neglected such a great salvation that we have in Christ, that warned us what would happen if we trampled or profaned the blood of Christ. And Jesus, I thank you for this reminder of our identity in him, that for those of us in him, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who who preserve our souls, not because of our own preservation efforts, but because of you, Jesus, and how you save our soul. You are the only one capable of saving in this room. And today I pray that by the power of your gospel on display through your word, that you bring someone to salvation. And those of us in this room who you have brought to salvation, that you would continue that process of sanctification, move us more and more into who you are, into less and less of who we were. Draw us, Jesus, to be the church unified, the church whole, the church put together, the church that you said the gates of hell would not advance against. Pray that you would be with the person here today who's hanging by a thread, that they would look to you, the one who endured, the one who suffered, the one who went all the way for them, and they would not try to go all the way for you, but they would learn today that you are the God who goes all the way with them. In your name, amen. It's been wild how this whole theme of endure and strive and don't give up, don't quit that we've been in in Hebrews has actually found itself into my like everyday life. Um, Recently, I came up on my son's almost six-year-old birthday. This is Ezra, my youngest son. And for me and Ezra, one of the things that we've kind of just set out to do is what I've tried to do with both of my boys is when they hit about that five, six year range is we go on what is called a baby to boy trip. What I've tried to intentionally do with my sons is I've just set out to say, I'm not trying to raise kids. I'm trying to raise men of God. In order to do that at five and at 10 and at 15, I've kind of set these bookmarks to where I'm going to go do something intentionally that serves as a rite of passage that leverages off a really critical part of their childhood that helped point them into what godly manhood is going to look like. And so Ezra has now come up on his 5-year-old trip. This is a transition from being a little baby into being full-blown as a boy, and what I did is I planned out this trip and I said, "Okay, uh, pick out this hike that we're gonna do in Rocky Mountain National Park. The good thing is I'd already kind of done this with Titus, so I had some things to go on, some recon about how to do it, what to avoid, what not to do. And so I called the park ranger's office in Rocky Mountain National Park, and I talked to this really kind. Um, she sounded like she was probably in her you know, mid-60s lady. And I said, um, tell me about a good backpacking location to where I can take my five-year-old. I wanna hike in, we wanna camp, and then we wanna hike out. Tell me, you know, a place that you would recommend. And she started listing off some places. And I'm looking at them on a map kind of as we're talking. And and they're like two miles, three miles, four miles. And I say, ma'am, the place I was kind of thinking was this place called Lawn Lake. I wanted to go to Lawn Lake. And she says, sir, you understand that Lawn Lake is a 12.5-mile round-trip hike with over 2,400 feet of elevation gained in the hike. And I go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And she says, sir, how old is your son? I said, He's, he, he will be almost six when I go on the trip. And she says, I don't recommend uh, a six-year-old going on a trip. And I said, ma'am, with all due respect, you don't know my six-year-old. Um, I said, me and my son, uh, my, my older son, we did a very similar hike with very similar elevation game. And I think he is able to do something. She said, well, it's it's not recommended, but uh, that is a really beautiful hike. And I think it might be uh, something that if you think your son is up for it, um, make sure you're prepared. But that could be a beautiful hike to take him on. So lo and behold, I go, that's what we're going to do. I had done something very similar with Titus and he crushed it. And so I, I see his little brother keep up with him and pretty much everything he does even now as a 10 year old. So I think he can keep up with it and he can make it happen. And so we fly out to Colorado, we go, we get prepared for this trail and we we get there, it's the morning of, you know, I gave him this amazing breakfast of Pop-Tarts and Gatorade, so he's ready to crush (laughs) this, you know. (laughs) Six mile in, 24 foot of, ele- 24, 100 foot of elevation gain. He's ready for all of that. You know, we start out, he's got his little pack on. I've got my pack on with way more of our stuff on. I've got my pack, he's got his pack and we just launch into the trail and it's going awesome. Mile one was a little bit strenuous, but mile two and three were easy. Mile four and five were okay. And we get about to mile six and I see some of the weariness start to kick into this little fella. The whole entire time I'd kept him in front of me. I just encourage him. We, we paused and talked from, you know, from time to time. We took plenty of breaks, made sure we were hydrated. And about mile six, he's, he's going. And I just see him hitting these steps. I just, uh. <laughs> it's, you know, it's tough when, when you get to one, you just stay there. You don't, you don't hit this move. You're just, you're leaving feet behind. And you do, it, and I can just see the, the this this energy and this effort in him begin to wane. And I say, "Hey, buddy, we're going to get to that tree right there, and we're going to pause, and we're going to sit down, we're going to drink some water, we're going to eat a little bit, and we're going to get the home stretch after that." So we get there, and we get about to that spot, and we take a little break, and we talk, and everything else. And <clears throat> enough time goes by, and we drink a little bit of water, and we get back on, put the backpacks back on, and we get ready to go, and we get going. And man, the home stretch was not a nice and easy, peaceful home stretch. The home stretch was probably the hardest part of the trail, big elevation, winding up to this alpine lake that was our final destination, where we were trying to get. And I see him struggle. And as a dad, there's this part of me that kind of wants to step in that I know I'm trying to push him past this threshold. I'm trying to go right on this fine line of pain and torture. And I'm trying to get right up to that place where he's having to fight through something hard, where he's having to to go through something that's gonna prepare him for the things in life that are gonna be easy and that are gonna be hard and not just things you can just walk through with just ease and and comfort. And I tell him, hey, Ezra, um, if you need me to for this last stretch, if you need me to, I will carry your pack for you. He doesn't say anything, he just keeps going. And then we walk a little bit more, we walk a little bit more, and he takes a few steps up some higher you know, terrain, a place a part that's not easy. My legs are burning, my butt is burning at this point with you know, trying to hike with all this weight on my back, coming in, and I hear the few little sniffles. I, I hear a little bit of tears, and I say, buddy, If you need me to, I will carry your pack. And he says, Dad, I'm going to carry it all the way. And in that moment, I was was so proud of him, So, so impressed with his just grit and tenacity. Now, if you've ever been around my two boys, you know, there's one of them who is... A lunatic, okay. <laughs> you know, there's one of them who like they're laughing because they're in our small group. They they seen my oldest, and he's just a different breed. Like he's either going to be in prison, the Marine Corps, a or pastor, or a professional athlete. One of the, it's one of those. That's Titus Shoemaker. Ezra, he's a, he's a different cat. Ezra, he's not quite that far. But Ezra, what I figured out on this trip, man, he's got this inner grit that is is it is hidden. But man, that kid is gritty. He says, Dad, I'm going to carry it all the way. We take one more break, and then I'm proud to announce to you that he did, in fact, make it all the way, and I want you to see that moment. So check it out. you are on the Let's go! Woohoo! Hey, you did it, man! Did the hard part, bro. Way to go! Oh, there you go. Way to go, dude. Now we'll go find our campsite. Look at that pretty spot. Pretty good. (laughs) See, isn't there just something inside the heart of all of us? to want to know that you have a heavenly father who's behind you on this treacherous trail that is life down here on planet earth, encouraging you, believing in you, hoping in you, telling you, don't shrink back, don't give up. I am going to let a burden be placed on you, but I'm not placing on you something that you cannot endure with my help. Endure, walk, persevere, strain, struggle, but no, I am with you. And today, this is what our passage is all about. Let's walk through it together and hopefully find the hope that is there in the gospel. The best way, I think, to tackle this passage is actually in reverse. It's one of those verses that you kind of hit the very end of it, and he explains kind of where this fork in the trail is, so to speak, where you can go this way or you can go that way. This way is gonna be really bad, but there is a better way here. Let's see what that fork in the road is. If you got a Bible, go jump down all the way to 38 and 39. He says, but my righteous one, and if you are unaware, that's the right one to be. The righteous one shall live by faith. Life by faith, that's the right way. And if he shrinks back, it's the wrong way, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then I love the, the confidence, the we are, the I am statement here. He says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He draws this paradigm between these two realities of living by faith and shrinking back. Living by faith and shrinking back. And, and hear me in here today. It doesn't matter who you think about voting for in a couple of months. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. These are the two paths that everybody in this room will choose. You either live by faith or you will shrink back. There is, that is the great equalizer here with us today. You will find one place or the other. There is no neutral middle ground. I will shrink back or I will live by faith, there is no standing still. And so today the big question is, which of these are you? What I wanna do is to hopefully help us understand with some diagnostic questions, maybe where we're at. So he points these two things out, living by faith and shrinking by shrinking back. Let's talk about, first one, let's go get the bad news out of the way first. What happens if we shrink back? He makes this very clear. First thing he says is gonna happen if we shrink back is God's soul will have no pleasure in our life. That's where he says this. He says, But my righteous one shall live by faith in verse 38. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't know if you ever experienced this when you were a kid. Maybe it was around high school, middle school ish, when you kind of got too big for your parents to whoop you. And you do something stupid, lie, something like that. And parent would come in, they just say something like, I'm not even mad at you. I'm just happened to you too. Hmm. I'm just disappointed. It was as if our mom or our dad was like on this soul level, frustrated with us to this place, where they were just like, "I can't even get angry at you. I'm just so disappointed." And I think that's kind of what God is after here of saying, if you shrink back, if you try to stand in your own good works and your own good deeds and you think you can save yourself, at the end of the day, God on a, this is wild to think about God on a soul level is like, "I'm just so incredibly disappointed. I'm disappointed. And I want to explain to you why God is disappointed in you. He's disappointed in you because the next thing that's going to happen to those who shrink back. He's disappointed because what's coming to those who shrink back is destruction. The reason that God is on a soul level disappointed is not just because you did bad things. It's because you refuse to accept the good, graceful things that his son did. How his son faced the destruction that sin brings on the cross. And because you said, I don't, I'm not gonna accept that. I'm not gonna believe in that. I'm not gonna trust in that. I'm gonna bank my life on Jesus facing the destruction and the punishment from God. I'm gonna choose to take that myself. God, on a soul level, is disappointed in us because what he has to give to us is our destruction. Again, that's no fun. But again, this is what comes to those who were shrinking back. They were letting go of their faith. They were rejecting, setting aside their beliefs And God says, on a soul level, I'm disappointed. On a soul level, I hate to dole out the punishment that I have to, but I have to remain a righteous, holy God. So this punishment, you could either said it's gonna go to my son, and you're gonna come under that, or you receive it. And I hate that that is what has to happen, but that is what happened. This is why I said it in verse 39, because we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. See, I think in our world, we get in this mindset I can just shrink back from my faith and just shrink back at work and shrink back with the, you know, the hard conversation I need to have or shrink back, you know, with my purity or shrink back with my money or shrink back. I shrink back with all these other things, but I want you to make a connection that maybe you haven't made yet today. Shrinking back does not just leave you where you're at. Shrinking back, the Bible makes this very clear. Shrinking back is connected to destruction. Now, I believe it, there is a minor deterioration that's gonna to happen to your life. Your life is eroded away. You become a person with no inca- integrity, no character, with, with, with no spine, no fortitude in your faith if we just continue to compromise our faith for the sake of being accepted by people. And I believe this is what's happened in that church, and this is what happens in our churches here in this country as well. We shrink back, play quiet, we don't wanna, we just hang. And then because of that, God goes, listen. Things for those who shrink back are not good. My soul takes no pleasure in their life. they face destruction. And the last thing, it starts with God's soul not having pleasure in our life, and then it ends with you actually losing your soul. We kind of get this point by deduction off of verse 39, it says, "We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith, and the people who have faith, they preserve their souls. Their souls are preserved. So to say we don't have faith and our souls aren't preserved, our souls are destroyed. Now, you can hear that and you go, okay, that's talking about on the judgment day. God's just going to destroy souls. Sounds terrible. Or you can think that's when Jesus comes back or that's going to be when I die. But what I want you to understand is this soul destruction from shrinking back is being experienced right now many people, whether you realize it or not, the world's goal is to steal your soul, to rob you of what you have on the inside in Christ. And you'll watch this happen. You even see it in Celebrities, and, and we'll watch somebody kind of rise up as this like gas, or grassroots kind of hero and, and they'll rise up and we'll know them and we'll like at the beginning, like they came from a small town and they love Jesus and they went to church and everything else. And then they make it big and then they start doing crazy stuff. And then what do we say in our minds? They sold their soul. See, this is what this is after. All I'm telling you is the world is out to rob your soul. The world is out to rob you of what makes you a son or daughter of God. This part inside of you that leads, navigates and operates and thinks the thoughts that Jesus thinks, does the things that Jesus does. That's what our soul is. Our soul, different than our spirit, that is what's gonna spend eternity there with the Father. Our soul is what is in the process right now of being sanctified, which means being changed over from the way it was to the way it is in Christ. So he says... If we are people who shrink back, God on a soul level is displeased with us, there's destruction that comes, and our souls are not just destroyed at judgment. They are, right now, rusting away as the world contaminates and chips away at them, moment by moment. And Let me just stay right here for a second. I want to talk to somebody who's, who's not in Christ right now. maybe for the first time you're finally having words put to what you feel on the inside. Maybe you never came out and said it before. But now under the truth of the gospel you maybe would say that's what it feels like. It feels like my soul is being destroyed. I can't speak for um, the female experience in life but I can't speak for the male experience in life. And the men that I've counseled And even as I've, with the help of the Holy Spirit, been counseled myself, fellas in the room, what your soul being destroyed feels like is numbness. You stop feeling anything. That's your soul being destroyed. Nothing hurts you anymore. You care no more. And so, in this room, I I, I know I'm talking to somebody, and and it's not too late. There, there is still a Jesus who comes and begs you to let him preserve your soul before it is numb to the place. This is, I believe, those whole verses that I read to you before, I think what he's really after there is he's saying there is this point in life that you can get to where you can no longer, where you can become so numb to the love of Christ that you no longer can get to the place where you could ever, genuinely and honestly repent of your sin because your soul has gotten so cold. Please recognize and realize that today. The Holy Spirit is showing you that today. And if there's whatever I can do, whatever prayer I can offer, whatever we can do as a church, do not walk out of here going, my soul has felt like it's getting numb and numb and numb for the last four, five, six years. I don't know what to do about it, but you continue to see it spiral down down. Down, down. Today is the day where you say, I need help for my soul to be preserved. So, this is what happens when we shrink back. Now, the question is, what happens if we live by faith? Much nicer here. What happens if we live by faith? Walks through this as well. We receive our promised reward. Good news. Good news. Let's get back into the good news. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. A confidence which has a great reward. A great reward is coming for when us when we keep our confidence. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, key word, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what Is promised. The key in this great reward and then receiving what is promised is not understanding the magnitude necessarily of this reward that is coming and not necessarily understanding what is that thing that is promised. The key to understanding and holding fast in these things and walking in faith in these things is understanding who is the one that the reward is coming from and who is the one that the promise is coming from and can I trust that man, that Jesus, that father I have in heaven. One of my favorite things about my trip with Ezra is we went in, we hiked, we fished, we caught some amazing fish and everything else, and then we made our trip down. One of the things that we do on this, this baby-to-boy trip is we try to memorialize it by going in. Uh, there's this place in Estes Park, which is right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park where we're at. There's a little town. It's kind of like a, a hippie Gatlinburg, if I had to, you know, describe it to you who haven't been there. They have this rock shop where you can go in and get all the different gyms and everything, a rock shop. You've, you've seen those places in Helen and Gatlinburg and those kind of folks. So... My boys love that kind of thing. And I say, hey, uh, we do the hike, we complete it. Um, your reward is gonna go, we're gonna memorialize this with, with going to the, the rock shop and buying a rock. And we get to uh, the trailhead where our forerunner that we rented is parked. And Ezra, you know, uh, you know I, he's, just, he's just funny. He gets to the parking lot and he, we're taking off our stuff. And my man puts his hands like this and goes, next stop, rock shop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just busting out laughing like we're both like sweaty and hot and everything else, ready to get, get out of the woods. And he's, next up, rock shop. You know why he yelled that out? He trusts his daddy. He knows my dad ain't going to lie to me. My dad told me if I do this, I'm going to the rock shop. I got a reward. He, he promised. Parents, you ever been there? You hear a kid? That's the fastest way for a kid to get something. You promised. I don't know, yeah. And at this point, I haven't broken any of my promises to him or haven't done it in a way to where he doesn't trust my next promise to him. And what I'm telling you is sometimes in this world, in this life, we get so consumed with what am I getting that we forget the one who is giving it. The key to understanding and the key to not drifting back and the key to walking by faith is understanding the one who is promising you that if you walk by faith, trust me, son, trust me, daughter, you have a reward coming your way second thing he says comes to those who uh, live by faith is that God's soul is pleased with him. Now, this is God on a soul level not being disappointed, but God on a soul level being delighting in us. But my righteous one shall live by faith and he shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. Again, kind of getting this point by deduction on the opposite end of this. If God's soul has no pleasure in those who shrink back, God isn't looking at those who remain steadfast and walk by faith and just going, great, thank you, way to go. No, his soul is hype. His soul is glad. His soul, I've watched that video that I showed you like 73 times and I almost tear up still. I could show it right now and I would almost cry again. Why? Because I delight in my son. I delight in my child. I love the memory of him going through something hard, facing something hard and going through it with perseverance. And our heavenly father is the exact same way. He loves to see that in us. His soul delights and is so incredibly proud. Now, now I wanna lean into something here. There's this story that I love in the life of Jesus. And Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. He goes and gets his cousin John, the Baptist, to baptize him. There in that moment, Jesus gets baptized. God opens up the heavens, sends the Holy Spirit down in the form of a dove. And anytime you see the whole Trinity show up in a passage of scripture, you know it's kind of a big deal. God goes full-blown Mufasa voice over the entire people there who are watching this happen and goes, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. Now, hearing that and what God said there is important because at that moment in time, Jesus has not opened blind eyes. Jesus has not preached some good big, great sermon. Jesus has not fed 5,000 people on the hillside. Jesus has not cast out a legion of demons from a fellow to put them all into pigs. Jesus hadn't gone even really out and picked all of his little apostles yet. Jesus has not done much of anything in regards to formal ministry at this point in time, but yet you still have the Father speaking into him going, this is my son who I love and him I'm well pleased. It's as if God was saying he is going to live his life, not for my approval, he's gonna live his life from my approval i'm going to give it to him in front of all y'all right here at the beginning and what's wild is you go all the way to the very end you see jesus on the cross and if there was ever a moment where you see the clouds part and mufasa voice of god come down that's my son who i love and him i'm well pleased what happens on the cross Let that keep you up at night. I'll tell you why that happened. Jesus heard silence on the cross so that you could hear what he heard at his baptism. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you, and he is well-pleased in you. You will fail miserably at this life that is the life of a Christian if you try to live this life for God's approval. You can accept that because you're in Christ, you have it, and things will get much, much easier. Second thing that happens when we live by faith. Maybe third, I've lost track. We preserve our souls. Which, again, this is good news. This means we are not of those who lose our souls and have to sell our souls to the world. We don't have to lose our soul or sell our soul to be approved by others. Because, again, back to the last point, we have this approval from God. See that in verse 39. He says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Sometimes I feel tired on a soul level. Sometimes I feel weary on a soul level. But it's an amazing thing to know that no matter how tired, how weary, how hanging by a thread, I feel on a soul level that my Heavenly Father, my Dad, is going to preserve my soul. Not because of how gritty and tough I am but because of the supernatural spiritual force that resides in my soul called the Holy Spirit of his son, Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit of his son, Jesus Christ, resides in me, and that Holy Spirit can walk up a hill called Galgasta, die on a cross, rise again, and conquer grave, I can conquer the frustrating things I face in this life. So, if that's what happens if we live by faith, and that's what unfortunately happens if we shrink back. The big question's gotta become how do we live by faith? I love it. All these are right here in our passage as well. How do we live by faith? First thing is you have to remember the past. This is where he takes him right at the beginning of the verse. If we wanna be people who live by faith, you have to remember the past. He says, but recall Recall the former days after you in line, after you endured a hard struggle of sufferings. Sometimes you were even publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes you were partners with those who were so treated. Next verse. He says, but you even had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plunder of property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one." Here's what he's telling them to remember. He is telling them in this moment, remember what you went through. Remember how you went through it. How God got you through it. I heard a pastor one time preaching this message about, you know, life and moving our faith forward and everything else. And one of the things he said was like, you know, faith is like being in a car. In a car, you know, move your faith forward. He said, in a way you're in a car, you got a windshield and you got a rear view. And there's a reason that your windshield is so much bigger than your rear view, because that's where you're supposed to stay focused. You're supposed to stay looking out there. You're supposed to see that. And, and as you look at what's coming, you're able to move your faith forward. You're supposed to press the gas pedal of, I don't even, I, the metaphor was lost on me because I immediately started disagreeing with it. Um, you, all that stuff's just happening. And the rear view mirror is small. And the rear view mirror, you're not supposed to look back. You're not supposed to get caught up in your past. And I found myself just thinking about my own life experience. And I think the reason there was kind of this stuff being twisted up inside of me as I was listening to him was like, that's just not my experience. Maybe that's some people's deal. But my experience has been much different than that. Because there's been times where, where, where I look through what's going on. I see what's happening out there. I see what's coming. Or I see what I'm in right now. And I pull the car over. i like, hold on, Jesus. I see that, you see that. The keys out of the ignition. I'm putting them in the glove box. I said, I don't know about this. I don't know if we can I don't know if I can get through that, Jesus. I don't know how I'm gonna get through that, Jesus. I don't personally, Jesus. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through another grandparent with cancer. I I, I don't want to go through more family drama. I, I don't wanna go through another hard conversation. I Jesus Jesus, I don't want to go through another season of doubt. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to go through this financial trouble. I just, I don't, I don't. It's hard to move my faith forward right now, Jesus. And it's as if he's in the passenger seat beside and goes, <clears throat> check the rear view, son. Check the rear view. Look back. Go back to the time where you didn't know how you were going to put food on the table for your family and I came through. Right in the nick of time. Go back to the time where you were worried and nervous and confused about how you were going to learn how to be a man of God if you didn't have a man of God in your life. And I and I and I and I came through and I showed you what it was look what it looked like to be a man of God. And I, and I showed up and I put father figures all around you in your life and I sent you to, to schools that you had no idea even existed six months before. And I sent you there and I organized all this stuff to put you in places where people speak into your life and show you these truths. Look in the rear of you, son. And I'm telling you, man. <laughs> In my personal experience in life, if maybe you are here as well, there's been times where the only thing that got me to grab the keys out and put them back in the ignition and turn the car of my faith on and keep moving down the road was not looking at the windshield because that was terrifying. was actually looking in the rearview mirror and saying, this is who you were back then. I'm trusting you'll be that way out there. Because sometimes in life, um, Mer- Morel McCrary, I love Morel, but one of the things that like, I-, I just can never be at this level at is he does this thing in his uh, Dodge Ram truck. It's nice, I'm envious uh, Forgive me, um, but he 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 takes this um, thing to keep it cool in his car. So it's one of those like things that covers up the entire windshield, and you can't see out of it, and you can't see in it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes like faith feels like that, right? God's like, you get in the car, and you are like, can I take that down? And God's like, no, I need you to drive <laughs> with that thing right there. But I can't see what's out there, and God's going, mm-hmm. drive. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. Drive. You don't know where you're going to college? Fine. You don't know how you're going to pay for that? Well, I'll work somehow. You don't know if this disease is going to stay or go? Well, I'll, we'll get there. And, 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 and this, this is what I'm talking about, guys, is like <clears throat> the perseverance that comes from when we look at what God's got us through, I believe is the only thing that gets us to what we're going through next because here's what's cool about God. He knows... What's coming next? And one of the things about a God who knows what's coming next is he understands that if you don't make it through what you're gonna make it through right now, and if I don't let you go through this, if I just plucked you out of this and moved you fast forward four places, you're not gonna get through this. We were talking about this at our small group uh, two Sundays ago. And this one family, we were leaning into this point from last week about perseverance. And, and they were like, man, if we had never had, our, our second, their second kid uh, went through uh, really just um, intense, uh, NICU baby experience and they've got tubes and hoses and everything coming out of their kid and this is their first time experiencing and this is traumatizing for them. They go through that and experience it. And then kid three, um, like less than a couple weeks after being born, has open heart surgery there at the hospital. They're barely even able to take the kid home. And, and the dad and the family's like, we could have never gotten through that if we hadn't gone through that with the first kid. We'd have been freaked out. we had been losing our minds seeing our baby girl have open heart surgery before she's one month old. But had God not got us through that, we would not have been prepared for that. And that's our faith. So we've got to remember what we went through. And the other side of this is you got to remember who you went through it with. What I love about this is they go through this together. They partner with each other. They're choosing to say, you suffer, I suffer. If you hurt, I hurt. And man, that is so lost on us. We see people hurting even in church and we're like, "Mm, let me know how I can pray for you. (laughs) And what 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 if God was going like, hey, you know you can do more than that, right? You can actually go and send them a, a dinner. You know, you, you got, I got you some gift cards, right? You ain't struggling; they're struggling. Go be with them. The word that he uses when he says you became partners with them up there in verse thirty three is the same exact word that we also translate fellowship. It's the word koinonia. I love it. I love this part too, right here, because it's like. This is what's happening in their actual church. People are coming in. If they're saying they're a Christian, people are coming in and stealing from them. And he says, listen, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, listen, I don't know how many of you, like somebody comes and starts stealing your, st- you're at church today and you get home and somebody came in and stole your entire living room. None of you were like, yes, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> I was at church today. This, okay, none of us are like that. You're getting on the cops. If it happens to you out where I live, you're getting on Ola Talk and you're posting pictures. Who did this? Somebody did it. You're on your neighborhood watch page. You're telling everybody. You ain't joyfully accepting that. Coming after that fool. Who stole my stuff while I was at church? (laughs) What's happening to these people is they go, in in a very MC Hammer uh, fashion, they go, you can't touch this. What I have... This better possession, this abiding one. Steal all the stuff you want to steal. You can't touch this. This is mine. You can't do nothing with this. I love that about it. He says, remember what you went through. Remember who you went through with. And then I believe he's saying, also, man, you've got to remember why you went through it. You went through it because you had a hope that what you were going through would fail in comparison to what you were going to. Next thing he says, um, or a point on this, I would say is key to our faith, is remembering is key to remaining. If you uh, have a bad memory uh, of God, then you're gonna have a hard time following God. Remembering what he's done is key to remaining. Next thing we see here is he says, hold on to your confidence in Christ. This is verse 35. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. It's got a great reward. Christians, I think, man, sometimes we're afraid of the C word, confidence. We hear confidence and then what do we hear? Cocky. Ooh, you're a little cocky in your face there. We, hear, we, we lump confidence, cocky. We throw them all in there with what the Bible tells us is the root sin, which, you know, is pride. And we hear confidence, cockiness, pride, put them all together and throw them away. Don't want to be any of those things. But listen, if the living God is on your side, shouldn't there be a little bit of like swagger? Like a little, just a little bit, you know? Like a little bit of David showing up, being like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Like, I roll with God. Like, I, I hate it when people say this is an underdog story. This is David and Goliath's story. David was not the underdog. When you're anointed by God, when God's spirit resides on you, you are not an underdog. And, and so what that means for us as a church, again, we're not, we're not David. Jesus is the one who shows us David. Like, if the spirit of God resides in us, church, we're not underdogs. This isn't a David the church versus Goliath, the world. No, the spirit of God resides on us. We are not underdogs. And so there's gotta be this confidence we have where it's like, and again, not to this place of cockiness, but and again, some of you married this person with this, what sometimes feels like cockiness, but is also most of the time faith. The person, you know, the husband or the spouse or the wife who you come in and, and you're like, I don't know how we're gonna pay for this. And they just say something like, God's got this. And you're like, are you being lazy or crazy? I don't, I don't know which, you're one of the two, you're being lazy or crazy, or you got faith. You trust in God. I don't know how it's gonna happen. And, and when we bump into these people, they're the, they are the people that inspire us because we go like, that's a level of crazy faith that I just don't understand, I can't grasp, but I want it, it looks appealing, I love it. I want, I want more of that in my life, that confidence. And again, that's where the great reward is. And knowing that, again, There's nothing that the world could ever take from me because what I have that I love the most is something the world never gave to me. So the last thing, and this this is the one I want us to really lean into. The last way that we are people who live by faith is we endure with endurance. We endure with endurance. This is what he says. He says, you have need of endurance. So what he's seeing here is he seeing this church, they've gone through a little bit of bumpy stuff, right? And some of them, I believe, already let go of their faith. Now, again, some of them are starting to go through some bumpy stuff again, and the pastor, I believe, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that they're getting ready to go through worse stuff, and so he says, oh man, you guys gotta have endurance. But here's what's crazy about endurance. Endurance is built up. You don't just get endurance. In order to get endurance, what do you have to go through? Stuff. You have to go through it. To Endurance is something that is built up incrementally, time after time. The word, the Greek word there for endurance is actually bearing up under. It's like, I have felt this pack. I have felt this weight. I have felt the burden of a family that's kind of crazy. I have felt the burden of financial stress. I have felt the burden of a family member who has cancer. I have felt the burden of chemotherapy myself. I have felt the burden of this, but these things no matter what hardship it is that I'm going through, I'm talking to somebody right now, no matter what hardship that you're going through, don't look at it as something that you just wish you could control alt delete out of your life. Look at it as something. Jesus is actually using this in my life to develop endurance because he says right here, you have need of endurance. How bad of a God would he be to not give you what you need? Now I know we're not out here asking, I want endurance because what we know is like, all right, cool. Like if you come to me and you're like, hey, um, I want to develop endurance as a running athlete. Do you know what I'm going to say to do? We're going to get up early in the morning and go running. <laughs> All right. If there was a way to get spiritual endurance without suffering, I believe God would give it to us. But friends, there's just not. If he was going to let anybody pass that by, he would have let his son. And what we see is his son endure to the point of death on a cross and then rise again victorious. So we endure with Endurance. Now, if you're here and you're like, oh, so that just means I have to suffer? And then I get endurance. It's just this like, character trait that I'll develop. Here's what I want you to do in your Bible. I want you to go to this word endurance. And I want you to mark out that little ugly, stupid, lowercase e. And replace that e right on top of it with a big capital E. A personified Endurance. Here's what I want you to understand. Endurance is not a character trait that Christians develop. Endurance is a character named Christ who we surrender our lives to and we let his life live through us. Jesus is the living embodiment of endurance and we crave, we need, we have no chance of making it through this life without his endurance living through us. He is endurance. And if we want it, it has to be Him living through. It's not us going, Jesus, just teach me how to develop and turn this little dial up of my personal endurance. No, it's His endurance through you. Because He is, after all, the one who endured. Can't wait to get here in the book of Hebrews, but I wanna show you this verse, Hebrews 12 two. He talks about, okay, well, if Jesus is endurance, how do I get this? He says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. These words, joy set before him endured the cross. Joy and cross, joy, cross, those things do not go together except for in our gospel. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he's got something in the windshield of his faith in his father. There is a joy that is set before him that allows him to say, I will endure the worst possible thing I could ever endure, a cross taking the full wrath of God, drinking it down to the very dregs so that I could save these people. And he says, for the joy set before him, well, what was that joy? Friends, that joy was two things. That joy was hearing his father's soul be immensely proud of him as he glorified that father. And the other side of the coin of the joy of Jesus was you. You were part of the joy set before him. As he looks at somebody like you and says, I'll go to the cross because I'm going there for him and her and them, they're my joy. I can joy in this whip on my back. I can joy as the splinters dig into my spine because I'm going there for them. And the reason why I think I get so emotional every time I watch that video of Ezra is because I know the words that he said right before I started filming. The reason I get so emotional when I watch that is because I heard him say, Dad, I'm going to carry it all the way. And the reason that I get emotional every time I hear that, every time I see that story is because I cannot help but think that is the very same thing that the father heard from Jesus. I know, I, I mean, I, I felt that as a father and I, I relate to God in the sense that, that you're looking down and you're seeing your son hurt and you're seeing your son struggle, and you're seeing your son and you're wanting to go, I wanna pull this cross off of you. I, I wanna take it, I wanna wipe these people out. I hate that this is what's happening. I wanna come, let me pick this up, let me take this off of you. And I I, I, have, to, I have to believe that the, there's a part of the father that would have loved to. there be any other way that we could be saved and he could be glorified as a true God he is that was without a cross. But I have to put my, myself in, in, in the side of the sun here as well. And this, this son who who takes this cross upon his back and, and I believe echo, echoes the same sentiment that I even heard my son echo of saying, no dad, I'm going to carry this all the way. If I don't carry this all the way up the hill, there's no way that these people can be saved. If I don't put this cross on my back and go all the way to this mountain that is Calvary. If I don't take this up there, then they can't get with us. I've got to do this. I'm carrying this all the way. I'm going to endure and endure and endure because then and only then as a victorious, reigning, ruling Savior, can I send my spirit into them so that they would be more than conquerors because of me. And guys, I'm telling you, this this God who would come down to this broken, fallen, messed up, screwed up, jacked up world, and take the tool of punishment that every single person in this room deserved and say, not only will I think about it, I will carry it all the way to the finish line is what now speaks to us to say, if he can carry it all the way past death and into life, then whatever you're going through right now in this life is a promise that he will carry you all the way as well. If he can carry a cross in the weight of sin through life into death and back into eternal life, friend, there's nothing that you're going through in this room that he cannot carry you through. And so my hope and my prayer is that we are not of those who shrink back and that we are not of those who stand still. There's really no such thing. We will not shrink back. We will not stand still. We will step forward in faith knowing that we have Emmanuel God with us on our side. And as we receive communion today, that is what it is all about, friends. What you hold in your hands is a symbol, a trophy, if you will, not of defeat, but a symbol of victory. That word in the Greek, when he says, you endured with hard struggle, is the very same word where we get our term athlete. It's as if Jesus is showing you in this communion you hold in your hands now. This is the symbol, this is the token of my victory. This is the symbol or the token of my endurance. And friend, if you will let me reign, rule, work in you, the very same endurance that allowed me to go through life to cross, to grave, to death, will be the very same thing that gets you through what you're going through. And I pray that we're able to do that as a family together. As you commune with him today, I pray you lean into his endurance and you beg him to preserve your soul as one who from this moment forward is walking by faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Father God, we love you. Father God, we desperately need you in these moments. pray you would give us faith that for every single one of us, we would be defined as a church who does what your son did, who picks up our cross and says, this is not something I will set aside, but this cross is something I will carry all the way.